This is Healthy Together, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. Visit rwjbh.org to learn more. And now here's our host, WCBS's Marla Diamond. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Together podcast presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Stroke research continues to revolutionize treatment options. Today, we welcome Dr. Igor Rabinik, vascular neurologist at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital and associate professor at the Department of Neurology Division of Stroke and Neurocritical Care at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Dr. Rabinik, tell us more about the major breakthroughs in stroke treatment that have really been game changers for enabling people who have strokes to make full recoveries. Oh, there are so many. Uh, things have things change almost every six months. Stroke is a very exciting field. So the major advances, I would say, in the last couple of years has been uh, the advances in the treatment for acute st- stroke, especially a stroke due to a blood clot. We now have very reliable tools and very effective tools for removing blood clots from blood vessels in the brain uh, to help people recover from stroke. There's also, parallel to that, there are improvements in stroke recovery as well and rehabilitation, Uh, the use of uh, robotics, the use of additional techniques to help people rehabilitate from stroke. Okay. Many of us have heard the BFAST acronym, but can you elaborate on how much speed to treatment matters? How, how much time does one have to get to the hospital after initial symptoms? Time is brain. That's sort of an adage that all stroke neurologists know and love because every minute does matter. It's, it's actually been estimated that a person who has an occluded blood vessel in the brain where brain cells are not getting enough blood flow, that that person loses about 2 million neurons a minute. So really every minute does count. And the faster people can get to the hospital, the better. The, the time window for interventions has been extended to 24 hours. But that does not mean by any, uh, by any stretch that you have 24 hours to get to the hospital to get treated for stroke. The later you arrive from symptom onset, the less would be the chance that we would be able to save your brain. So what are the signs and symptoms of a stroke? BFAST is actually an excellent acronym for lay people to use, and also our paramedics use it as well. So it's a great it's a great scale. B stands for balance. That's difficulty walking, unsteadiness, inability to use their limbs, dropping things from from your hand, for example. E stands for eyes. That's when normally your eyeballs are aligned together, so you see one picture of the world. But if you see two pictures of the world that are side by side and one on top of the other or diagonally, or you lose vision where you un- you're unable to see one side of the world, that, that could be a stroke symptom. F stands for face. If there's a facial droop, most of us has, have a little bit of asymmetry in our face, but when there's a prominent inability to move one side of the face, or especially when somebody looking at you notices that your face is not symmetric, or prominently not symmetric, that could be a stroke symptom. A stands for arm. So that refers to arm weakness, lifting up both arms in the air and watching one arm drift down because of weakness, that could be a sign of stroke. And S stands for speech, any alteration in the ability to carry out a conversation, either slurring of speech when people have trouble understanding you, so you almost sound drunk, or actually 
using inappropriate words or not being able to understand speech or language at all. Those are the stroke symptoms. So I want to play a clip of an incident that happened recently. A television news anchor in Oklahoma, Julie Chin, was delivering news of the scrubbed Artemis mission when she suddenly had trouble speaking. The words would not come out of my mouth. The Tulsa are the Tulsa Air and Spons Space Museum. They were right in front of me and I knew what I was reading and they just weren't coming. At the at the at the event, um, the event features uh, live. Uh, I'm sorry, something is going on with me this morning and I apologize to everybody. Let's just go ahead and send it on over to meteorologist Annie Brown. Chin attributes her ability to recover quickly from that stroke to her colleagues who noticed that something was wrong and uh, called 911. But how do you know that someone is suffering a stroke or maybe just having trouble getting words out for some other reason? Um, So the first thing to mention is that Honestly, stroke symptoms are just symptoms of brain dysfunction. Stroke is one particular cause of brain dysfunction, but there are others. For example, migraines are known to cause difficulties with speech or even vision. So whenever we see symptoms of stroke, that doesn't necessarily mean the patient is having a stroke. However, you, bystanders, people who are non-medical personnel and people who are medical personnel but have but don't have access to testing have absolutely no way of differentiating stroke from other disorders so it's always best to err on the side of caution and to call 911 when you see stroke symptoms be fast see the symptoms and also be fast about calling 911 t stands for time right so be fast Notice the symptoms and call 911 as fast as possible. You would not be able to differentiate stroke from other causes of neurological dysfunction. Are there pre-existing medical conditions that put patients at a higher risk of having a stroke? Certainly. There have been quite a few studies that even make an assertion that 90% of all strokes can be accounted for by certain risk factors like high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, Lack of exercise, sort of sedentary lifestyle, smoking is a big one. Those risk factors increase the stroke risk significantly. How do you prevent a stroke, say, if you do have some of those risk factors or just prevent a stroke in general? Preventing a stroke is certainly at the height of our focus. We do have wonderful treatments for stroke, but preventing a stroke is still better than dealing with with a stroke. Uh, Almost always some damage gets done even with our treatments. So preventing stroke would be seeing your physician, leading a healthier lifestyle, especially controlling blood pressure. Very importantly, controlling the blood pressure because it's the most important, the strongest risk factor. Avoiding smoking and just following your doctor's advice with respect to controlling your risk factors like high cholesterol, diabetes. Trying to exercise about half an hour a day, that's always a good advice to patients. And with respect to blood pressure, honestly, most people check their blood pressure once a year when they come to a doctor's office. That's not enough. I do advise my patients to get a blood pressure cuff and choose intervals of one week where they measure their blood pressure three times a day to see where it really is as opposed to a once a year measurement. Each year, according to the CDC, more than 795,000 people in the U.S. have a stroke. 
which means that someone experiences one about every 40 seconds and they can be deadly. Someone uh, dies uh, from a stroke uh, about every three and a half minutes, according to, to the CDC. So it is so important that um, it gets diagnosed quickly. And we talked at the beginning of the broadcast about some of the new diagnostic tools that you have to determine if someone has had a stroke. Uh, when a patient gets to you, gets to the emergency room, gets to the hospital, what t- new techniques are you using to diagnose stroke quickly? The biggest challenge with the diagnosis of stroke is there's no blood test that can tell us that you're having a stroke. For example, heart attacks have a blood test that we can check fairly quickly and within hours know that you're having a heart attack. Brain is much more complex. We don't have a blood test that can tell us that you're having a stroke. So we have to do scans, imaging. We have to look at the brain with usually a CAT scan, which is an X-ray-based study, and we also end up looking at the blood vessels. But thankfully, over the last four years, we have a new tool, and that is called perfusion imaging. This is a CAT scan, a specialized CAT scan that can estimate how much blood flow is getting to different areas of the brain. It's not foolproof, but it's very, very helpful, especially for people where stroke onset is unknown. If you were to go to bed and wake up with stroke symptoms, we don't know when that stroke actually happened. So we can use some of this advanced imaging to decide if there is still brain left to save for us to go in and do our procedures to hopefully abort a stroke or limit the extent of your stroke. And at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital, you have a code stroke team. Yeah, so a requirement of a stroke center is to have a team of people that are able to address a treated person with a stroke. So that team includes providers of different walks of life, uh, a neurologist, the neurology trainees, advanced practice nurses, physician assistants, nurses, pharmacists, radiology technologists, radiology radiologists, and of course, interventional surgeons, which could be neurologists, could be radiologists, it could be neurosurgeons. So it's a really large team. And the challenge is, we know time is brain. How do we activate the entire team at the same time? And that's where the stroke code process comes in. When a person with suspected stroke comes into the emergency room, we activate a code stroke that notifies every member of the team at the same time so we know what we need to do. You uh, offer several what's called endovascular approaches. Can you talk about that? What, what, what are the endovascular approaches that you use? The first truly proven stroke treatment arrived on the market in about 1995. That's called TPA, Tissue Plasminogen Activator. There's a newer version of that as well. So that we've been given for for decades at this point. And the vascular techniques really came of age around 2015. And what endovascular means is essentially a, a surgery, a minimally invasive surgery, where we put a small tube, a catheter, into a blood vessel in the groin usually, and we're able to ascend that tube all the way up to the brain and use newer devices, snare devices or suction devices to remove the clot. It's all done with the patient usually under anesthesia and asleep for this. And it's all done very emergently usually. Finally, doctor, what is stroke rehabilitation and what makes a stroke patient a good candidate for rehab? So 
Even with our amazing interventions and amazing treatments for stroke nowadays, it is rare to completely reverse a stroke. So some damage does get done. If you can imagine if you were to have stroke symptoms right now and you lose about 2 million neurons per minute, even if you take 10 minutes to get to the hospital, you will lose some brain tissue. Those neurons were doing something. They, they were with you your whole life. They had a job. They were doing something. So now you've lost the ability to perform that task. Those neurons have been damaged. So stroke rehabilitation actually aims at rewiring your brain. Nerve cells cannot regrow, but what they can do is make new connections, allowing them to take over some of that function that's been lost and for you to regain some of that function. So stroke rehabilitation focuses on motor recovery, getting you stronger, balance recovery, getting you more balanced, but also cognitive and speech recovery as well. In terms of who is a good candidate for recovery, well, we try to be aggressive and try to have as many people as possible qualify for rehabilitation. But it's really people that are able to understand at least to some degree, understand directions to some degree, people who have strong support systems at home, family members who, who will help motivate them to participate in rehabilitation. You do a lot of educating on the subject, uh, and you have your own uh, YouTube channel. Tell us about that. My goal with the channel was to improve neurological education. Stroke in particular, neurology in general, is very difficult for people to grasp. It's a complicated field. So I try to educate medical students who will become future neurologists, hopefully at least take care of some of these patients. But I also try to educate trainees of various levels. And certainly part of our jobs as stroke neurologists is to educate people who have suffered a stroke, to educate them about prevention, to educate them about different types of strokes and causes of stroke and to educate them about how to recover from stroke. So the YouTube channel was born out of that. And on that channel, we have videos for trainees of different levels and patients as well for them to help them understand the diverse and complicated world of stroke and neurology overall. And that uh, YouTube channel is called? Uh, the YouTube channel is called The Neurophile, uh, as in for us lovers of neurology. And it could be searched for on YouTube by typing in the our institution, Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, RWJMS, Neurology. If you type that as two words into YouTube, you will get that channel. In a conclusion, what would you like our listeners to know about stroke and stroke prevention? The important, The most important thing to know is that stroke is preventable, stroke is treatable, and time is brain. Time is always brain. When you are having stroke symptoms, please call 911. Do not try to walk yourself to the emergency room or drive yourself. Call 911. Let qualified professionals get you to the proper place, to the proper hospital to get the treatments you, you require. Thanks for that great advice, Dr. Igor Rabinik, vascular neurologist at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital. Thanks for joining us on the Healthy Together podcast. Thank you for having me. I hope everyone stays healthy. You've been listening to the RWJ Barnabas Health Healthy Together podcast, brought to you by RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Visit them and learn more at rwjbh.org.